Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I actually, I have, but I think that there's a step in between that and what we're currently at. And to me, that is the widespread use of surrogacy on a level that we haven't seen before. And there is, there's the surrogacy market. I don't know if it's still going on, the war in Ukraine, but there was a massive surrogacy market in Ukraine. And those women were treated horribly and they were oftentimes not paid unless they delivered the baby to full term. I don't know specifically why it was so difficult for a lot of them to carry to full term. Maybe it's the lack of healthcare there, but that is an issue in Ukraine. So American couples or American single people, as well as people around the world, were really using women in Ukraine to carry babies. And we're now right. seeing a lot of people in the US, and I've seen the documentaries for this. It's been reported for years that that's been happening in Ukraine. It's it's called the surrogacy market there. They have companies here in the US and the Ukraine that work as liaison between the two. I don't know if it's still happening because of the war, but it was up until then. So you have that. And then you have this culture that that's developing in the US of just using surrogates. And I'm not talking about women who can't get pregnant or anything like that, nothing like that. I'm talking about people who seem to just be renting women to have babies. And I don't think there's enough protections for those surrogates because that's not something that's really been talked about in Congress. There are not massive bills to make sure that they're not harmed. And when you have a situation, and I think this has started in Hollywood, the Kardashians really have led the way on this, people just getting surrogates, and now you see other actresses, and some have even said, I'm doing this because I don't want to have a baby, to have the stretch marks, have all that, and that's their choice. But I wonder if there are protections for those surrogates, because it's not going to be older women who have lots of life experience who get brought in to be surrogates. It's going to be girls my age who maybe need money for school or who need money to live or who are trying to support their family. And there doesn't seem to be an advocacy wing supporting them and protecting them and really instructing them about what it's going to mean for their mental health and their physical health to do this. And that's something the pro-life movement may want to start talking about, because if we don't protect surrogates, we're also not protecting babies. Oh, wow. Now, that's so I'm so glad that I asked you that question. I was trying to figure out how to work it in because we spent three or four episodes 
going into the designer babies and the surrogates and then eventually the synthetic womb market. And uh, no, it's great that you're talking about that because it is going to affect the mental health of that child down the road when it finds out that mommy didn't even love me enough to carry me inside her belly by choice, not because of health reasons. And then that woman you're saying like your age who's going to end up giving away the baby that was growing inside her this is going to lead to all sorts of problems down the road and then the next step as you said this is the bridge to get to the full-blown you know technocratic uh uh, element of this synthetic wombs i mean it's scary the stuff that they're doing now i want to ask you because this ties in as well um you have and i don't know if you follow him much if you see that he's involved in any of the investment into the youth organizations but you have peter thiel who came out obviously was marketed as trump's only big billionaire uh silicon valley backer which was not true but that's how they marketed it how does peter thiel play a part in the conservative movement now considering that he's actually backing candidates and he goes out there calling himself a conservative libertarian of which in my belief he is neither he has money and everything. Everything has Peter Steele money in it. And then people want to, you know, get in bed with him in, in political means and economic means. That's their business. I find it strange, though, how libertarian conservatism has sort of morphed. It's morphed into the, its own thing. And there are these people who push libertarian conservatism what is that really what they say to me is well it's it's freedom for everybody it's everybody having what they need and us still having capitalism and everything i think it's a bridge between having leftists come in in the in the libertarian movement and try to take over the conservative movement i think that the libertarians in a lot of ways not not the libertarians in the national party who've been out there not the ron paul Rand paul people those people believe and they have a whole thing of of lists of specific points i've worked with them i've spoken with them their principle but these new libertarians who seem to be very interested in financing conservative enterprises i think it's a bridge between that and leftism Yes, and and I've explained to my audience, let's see if if you agree with this. I mean, like, again, he tries to brand himself as this conservative libertarian. He was speaking a couple of weeks ago at the National Conservatism Conference held by the Edmund Burke Society. But as I said to my audience, if you just take conservatism in its simple form, you know, being fiscally conservative or socially conservative, Peter Thiel, as I'll explain in a moment, is a devout transhumanist, which is anti-humanism. The eventual goal is sort of the engineering of humanity out of existence so therefore he cannot be a social conservative as far as fiscal conservatism he currently has over 2.5 billion dollars in government contracts open for his various companies he's been funded by cia money through inqtel which is their venture firm and so he's in no way a fiscal conservative because he's not about small government and then as far as the libertarian brand you know being for liberty or freedom his company palantir which was started with cia and qtel money is almost in every government agency including in the irs under a hundred million dollar deal that they signed under the trump administration to basically go out and harass american citizens so i don't think that peter thiel is about liberty in any way whatsoever so to me it's almost like he's a fraud i don't know why he is not rejected and there's really no pushback do you see any pushback from either young conservatives or other conservatives in the movement saying this guy doesn't represent us we don't want him involved 
No, but you're also dealing with a group of people who do no research and don't vet anybody. So if you don't vet anybody and you don't do any research on anybody and you don't do deep dives just with public information, why would there be pushback? And that's something I've I've seen over and over again. You can come in and just say you want to save America and have your whole closet filled with you know horrible skeletons about your behavior. It's never going to matter. Because you're going to like rah, rah, save America. So if you have that situation, it's not just him. There are many people, I'm sure, throughout the concerned movement who are financiers or in positions of leadership who were never vetted. And so we're now seeing what happens when you have people who are embedded come in. And that's something on the left that doesn't happen. Those people are vetted ideologically. They go back through their whole lives, the fine tooth comb. Maybe they miss a couple tweets. Maybe they miss something somebody said once. But they go back and they look and they find out who you're voting for. Uh, through talking with your friends, talking to family or teachers, they read your papers in high school. They vet. We don't vet. And we pay the price for it over and over again. Now, do you think that's just because there is, for some reason, this constant desire by people on the right who, as we said, the the numbers that sort of the Republican Party give out, the GOP gives out, uh, that there are actually less conservatives than we are led to believe. And so sometimes in life, you do feel isolated. You start to say, wait a second, how is everyone around me on the left, but I'm told we're in the majority? Do you think it's because the right's desire, and I think this is in most humans to have some kind of some leader that comes out of the fold some billionaire that's coming to save us do you think that's why we keep falling into the trap of accepting people like say peter thiel or robert mercer or any of these guys you go oh a billionaire is coming to back us so now we're gonna win do you think that's part of what it is not 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 for the people that are just greedy and want the money i think we do want a savior but there's also a very trusting nature in the conservative movement that I've never fully understood. But it's this idea of they couldn't possibly be lying to us. It could they must be ideological, they must be principled. So you're always up against this idea of people are just doing their best and telling the truth. And I don't understand that since we're in politics, I would just assume everyone's lying. That seems like a safer <laughs> bet. That's always seemed like a safer bet to me, but I'm very much in the minority about that. And people will say, you know, why would they lie? Why would they try to give away their money and and do it in a way that doesn't even get them what they want? Because some people are bad-willed, because some people are not principled. But the idea of trying to explain to large amounts of conservatives, and I've tried this, so I, I know this to be true, that people are untrustworthy and should not be given the benefit of the doubt and not be given second chances within the GOP is not accepted. They do not accept it. So we're always up against that trusting nature, which uh, honestly is a lot of times an Achilles heel. Oh, no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I've got a video. So there's this whole concept of singularity, which is eventually when artificial intelligence becomes smarter than humans, and then humans are forced to merge with machine, man and machine merge. And it's, so it's called singularity. It came out of Ray Kurzweil, who is the chief um, engineer at Google. We did like several shows on this. And you go back to Peter Thiel, going back to 2006, he was investing in and funding the singularity institute giving speeches that are all over the internet you can watch them at the singularity conferences and so then there's this video of him from a few years back sitting there uh in a little panel discussion and he says right there that uh transhumanism and 
Christianity, so transhumanism, the merger of man and machine, with this concept that these guys are chasing in various forms of immortality, they want eternal life, that Christianity and transhumanism have very little differences. In fact, only a few small metaphysical differences because at the end of the day, God is offering you eternal life in heaven and Peter Thiel and the transhumanists are offering you immortality right here. I mean, this quote is, it's in video. He's out there saying this. It's not the first time he said this kind of thing. How could anyone on the right accept this guy as uh, being involved with anything, any of the candidates he's backing when he literally just told you that there's no difference between transhumanism and Christianity. And I'm sure you probably have never even seen that, right? Yeah, things being on video don't matter anymore. And I've said this to my mom when we've been talking about <laughs> politics. If it's on video, if there's like a recording of someone saying horrible things, this is why oftentimes I, I think when I see Project Veritas reports, like that's not going to matter. Yeah, it's shocking. It's horrifying. But these things don't matter to voters anymore. You have to have like a candidate on tape torturing a kitten for anyone to even care. And you'd have to have like proof that he was there and that it wasn't a doctored video and all these different things because we are at a point now and a lot of this is due to the Trump years of the left hitting Trump so hard it got to a point of people being desensitized no one cares about things that are on videos it's very difficult to shock Americans anymore you can't really shock Americans in politics I think the Biden speech where he was sort of backlit like he was a tyrant from the 1940s shocked Americans a little bit but the only reason it did is because it didn't fit with Biden's brand Biden brand was this grandfatherly guy obviously yep. it's a lie but that was what the, the marketing was so when democrats those more moderate democrats saw him backlit with the red and the military people near him and you know like saying all this harsh language they didn't like it because it wasn't the biden they knew but aside from that when have americans been shocked recently we're about to enter a global recession people aren't even talking about it because <laughs> it's not shocking anymore i mean if you look at the the data coming out the uk pound is super weak our dollar is a mess nobody cares because we're at a point now where things have been bad for so long in so many ways it's the expectations so we're not we're only surprised when things get better at this point this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify pos has everything you need to sell in person Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that's that's part of, uh, you know, what we've been researching here. I think growing out of, I think there's a lot of leftist ideologies and progressive ideologies embedded in what is becoming this... Um, it's basically both parties and the entire government backing the idea of technocracy, which is the eventual rule by the scientists and engineers. And we spent 54 episodes digging into this. And so I'm about to start comparing this to uh, old videos I have of Saul Alinsky to explain to the audience that this mentality grows out of leftism. It grew out of progressivism. It has elements of communism because the goal is for the scientists and engineers to control the means of production. 
production, manufacturing, the work schedules, and then the distribution of goods. And this goes all the way back to the 1930s. It even has some roots in uh, Nazi Germany. And so now you're seeing people, people, as we're talking about Peter Thiel, people like Peter Thiel are actually behind this movement, backed by government money. And you're seeing that trickle into the right and left. So when you're talking about how Peter Thiel branding himself as a conservative libertarian or this new sort of libertarian populist idea that they are going to end up pushing the left in. I think what you're actually seeing is the beginning of this full-blown technocracy leaking in to what's going to control the entire government and then in fact the whole entire world. That's what basically they're moving towards. I think that's part of what the COVID land high school theater production was about as well. And Elon Musk is not our savior in this. And a lot of people <laughs> think that and I don't really understand why. I mean, there's there's not a like Elon Musk is not a conservative person at all whatsoever. This is not true. He might be less horrible than Zuckerberg, sure. Yeah, okay, I'll accept that. He might be less crazy than Jack Dorsey, probably, but he's not our savior. And this is a real problem within the GOP that I wasn't aware of until I was really working in Republican politics. We have this idea that we are completely against the celebrities telling us what to do. We don't want celebrities to tell us what to do. We think it's ridiculous. I also think it's ridiculous. But the second that one talks to us or favors us, they're like raised to this level of king or queen in the GOP and the conservative movement. It frustrates me because we spend so much time on them that could be given or allocated to better areas that it only hurts us. And then that celebrity leaves because they're celebrities and they're not here to stay with us in GOP land. They leave and then we're left with less and they'd be more people just know their name and buy their music or their brand or whatever they're selling. Oh, definitely. We don't want uh, celebrities talking to us until we want celebrities talking to yeah. us. And so, in fact, we elected a celebrity as president. But look, I always admit, I went to 13 Trump rallies. I performed in my Donald Trump impersonator costume at two inaugural balls. I mean, I was on board because, for me, that was our last best hope to fix the problems of yesteryear, which was an open border and everything else. To me, those issues are like out the window now. Demographic yeah. warfare has been spread all across the world. You're seeing even what's going on in Russia, Ukraine. My wife is from uh, Poland, and I was just over in Poland for three weeks with her. And you're seeing the Ukrainian refugees. It doesn't really matter what people's standpoint is. They're moving them into Poland. They're doing the same exact thing that they did in the U.S. here with South Americans, Central Americans, Mexicans. They're bringing them into Poland. They're telling them not to assimilate. They're giving them all kinds of government money. Meanwhile, the U.S. is over there building a military base and trying to push Poland into this new NATO alliance. And so we're basically running Poland and then everyone in Poland who is starting to stand up to some of the refugees that are emboldened now and acting like some of the people that we bring in because the government is telling them to act this way are now called racist and uh, I mean and you're seeing the same game be run um, over in Poland but let me ask you a couple more things um, you wear a lot of hats so what are all the different projects you're involved with I mean you're going to college you're working for the um uh republicans for national renewal you've got your different podcasts uh how do you manage all this at 22 years old <laughs> 
Well, I think mainly because it was gradual. So when I started off, I just had my show. And then from that, I was, I had another writing position. Then I joined Trinity International, which is a young conservative and Christian organization that helps to have conservatives who are, and Christians on college campuses not feel isolated ideologically. So with that, it, that really is an area where everything sort of filters in together. It's all about making sure young conservatives are not isolated and that they don't feel like they have to compromise to exist. And that was a feeling that I felt in school, you know, grade docking is a real problem as well. So we talk about that from leftist teachers. And along with that, helping out Republicans for National Renewal with social media and making sure that they have what they need is really important because these are organ that's an organization that's vetting people. And that's one of the things I liked about the organization. I interviewed their executive director for my own show. And I asked, how, how do you deal with these candidates? What how, how does it go through? And they have a checklist. They have, I think they call it a report card of where they have to stand on certain issues. And that's something that I thought was really nice to see, especially from a new organization organization because a lot of times we don't see that and they have to hit those checklists to be endorsed. So it all sort of filters through the same topic. I will say it's easier to stay disciplined in it when it's all under the same umbrella. So everything I do is under conservative politics or pro-life politics. When everything's under the same umbrella, it's easier to streamline. And there are a lot of young conservatives who have asked me, how do you not get overwhelmed with things? How do you not you know, drop certain things or not be able to pay attention? You just have to be really disciplined in what you're doing. And I think one of the reasons I haven't had burnout, which a lot of young conservatives have, is that everything I did was organic. So when you're suddenly given a massive show on a massive platform and you're 18, that's a big learning curve. And there's a lot of things you don't know. Or when you're suddenly given a massive position in an organization, there's a lot of things you don't know. We have a problem in the young conservative world of people burning out and feeling like they have to develop content all the time. I've taken months off from developing content to focus on other things in my job sphere. Young conservatives need to not be given everything all at once. And that sounds bad to say, but that's the way to keep them in and not have them burn out quickly. Okay, so let me ask you, what are some of the boxes that uh, some of these candidates have to check off? What are you guys looking for over there? I mean, it's not you specifically doing it, but what, what kind of stuff are they looking for? So you're looking for isolationist policies. You're looking for someone who does not think it's appropriate to send massive amounts of money all the time to whatever country needs it and to not have American military boots on the ground when we haven't been threatened, when it's not again, when it's not about us being in danger. Those kinds of things. You have to be willing to talk to people. I mean, this is another point. A lot of the candidates that these more populist organizations are endorsing now, these are candidates who are willing to talk to voters. And there's always been this sort of curtain between between candidates and voters and that they will totally ask for your vote and they might answer your question in a form, but they're not going to answer your question in the comment section of their Facebook page. And that's something that these more populist right-wing organizations are pushing. They're pushing for candidates to be involved with anybody who wants to talk to them. And that's something that really is new, at least in this time in Republican politics. So let me ask you, do you know, does anyone have a five-year a 10-year, I mean, have they ever? Has anyone had a five-year, a 10-year, a 20-year plan on 
like just like you would do as a business plan if you were launching a new company where we are trying to get to as far as say a conservative movement i mean i know these technocrats have a plan i know the un uh with agendas 2030 2050 they have a plan they know where they're going i know the world economic forum has a plan they publish it in all of the speeches and the conferences they throw and the papers that they publish is there any plan whatsoever from the conservative movement or is it just hopefully win the next election be able to grift a little more than other people grift and then we move on to the next battle or is there actually a plan to quote you know save america actually change things roll back anything i think we've given up on the idea of shrinking government i don't even think that's a question anymore so do you see an actual plan in place by anyone no, I th- and I think that's a good question. A lot of that is dependent on who becomes the nominee in 2024. And that's just the reality we're in. Because if Donald Trump becomes a nominee in 2024, the plan from there will be how do we get all the things we want accomplished within Trump's presidency? However, if someone like Ron DeSantis becomes the nominee, it's not so much about his presidency or after getting him elected. It becomes how do we get this more common sense, solid way of thinking into the GOP? and the conservative movement. A lot of grifters will not survive, I don't think would survive the the Ron DeSantis nominee time. And I don't mean presidency, I mean the nominee time. Because when someone is the nominee, what they're doing is they're reshaping the platform of the party. Donald Trump did that very successfully in, in 2016. Romney did not do that successfully in 2012. So with Donald Trump, you had in this this five-year plan of this is what we're going to accomplish. We're going to do a remake of the entire you know GOP network. We're going to put in Trump loyalists and we're going to make it a MAGA-centric party. With someone like Ron DeSantis, who I was not a fan of for a long time, and I've come around to recently because I think it's a much better decision than a Trump presidency 2.0. Someone like Ron DeSantis, what I like about him is that he does not seem to have a lot of friends. They say his main advisor is his wife. He's a very closed off person. So what you'll have there is you'll have a plan of how to stabilize the Republican Party and stabilize the conservative movement. And that might just mean a lot of internal maintenance and not trying to win over new voters. But if you're asking right now, is there a five-year plan? Is anybody presenting it? No. Even though Kevin McCarthy tries to present his like Saving America plan on his <laughs> yeah. website or something, it, it, that's the closest we've gotten, and nobody cares about that. Okay, so let let's say Ron DeSantis becomes the candidate, and Ron DeSantis, you know, wins the election. What are we like as Americans, uh, as humans? What are we hoping to get out of this? What is it just to reverse a few policies here and there, or is anyone looking? Uh, you know, again, big picture ideas. Are we getting back to waving the American flag again? I mean, what what's actually supposed to happen? What do people have to look forward to? Well, for me personally, if Ron DeSantis run, ran and won for president, won the presidency, I would be looking for a stabilization of global politics. I'm very concerned about the fact that we are what we want doesn't matter anymore in the global sphere. I mean, Afghanistan falls, Russia invades Ukraine. We're a laughing stock. The French president Emmanuel Macron says nasty things about us all the time. We are not listened to when it comes to the energy crisis throughout the world, specifically in Germany. We can't even shame Germany into doing what we want them to do anymore. That's a real problem for me. So I want a stabilization and a return of American dominance, not in us being interventionists, but in us being listened to, in us 
having a firm position on the world stage. When Afghanistan fell and we lost those Marines, I thought that would be a moment where perhaps, you know, the Democrats would be heaped in shame and then the media would slam them because the media was not happy with Joe Biden. That didn't happen. So to me, that means that the media is now okay with Democrats allowing our global politics and global foreign policy to fall. That's the main thing we have to look forward to. I also think we have... The idea that Ron DeSantis will point or ha or pick a education secretary that is very focused on the type of textbooks that are not filled with ideology that's very leftist and really maintaining parental power within schools. Those would be the two main things. And then the stabilization of the economy and trying to get further investment from major companies in the U.S. and not outside the U.S. But that specifically, I think he has taken from the Trump policy fold because he's very well versed in the Trump policies and will try to bring into his own presidency. Hopefully he can keep Peter Thiel out of the fold because I know he's already been sneaking around Ron DeSantis's circle. But uh, let me let me ask you this one because this is a this is big picture. So I'm always trying to look again why I asked you about the plan. If anyone knows what we want to look like in 20 years or 25 years, because again the people that we would consider to be our enemies, they publish their plans. And I'm not just there talking about the left like AOC. I'm talking about Klaus Schwab and you've all know our harari in the world economic forum which really just acts as the world's chamber of commerce essentially is what it is the uh sort of uh the talking points goes out to the public and private sectors and how they're going to merge and how they're going to usher us into the fourth industrial revolution of which we're pretty much in now but let me ask you how does not how they say they're going to do it, not what they campaign on, but how does someone like a Ron DeSantis focus on how younger kids, even people now stuck in their 30s and early 40s, that haven't been able to save enough to, say, buy a home? Because let's say in this area, in Frederick, Maryland, they pop up these little crappy Ryan homes. They're $750,000. You're not even getting a yard. You have three feet around the outside of the house. So how does the economy change? How does someone like a Ron DeSantis not just talk about it but actually do it when we're also facing an economy in which people like Elon Musk who is nothing more than a technocratic transhumanist like the rest of these guys he just does it a little bit different he's backed by the government just like Peter Thiel and the rest of the gang when they're working towards building robots that people can buy for $20,000 to replace waiters to replace uh, landscapers first it was the jobs of Americans don't want to do. Now it's the jobs humans don't want to do. So as they're building artificial intelligence and they're building robots to replace humans in the workforce, how do people get there? Does Ron DeSantis eventually have to run on universal basic income? I mean, how does this actually happen in the economy that we're building? 